Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman. We are continuing in our series on manhood and womanhood. We have titled the series Man and Woman, God's Idea. So this reality that, hey, God intentionally and with good reason made humanity uh, man and woman, made, made, made uh, human beings in his own image as male and female. And there's a, there's a really good reason for that. There's a really good purpose for it, and there's, there's incredible meaning within it. Uh, theologically, just, just in this incredible, you know, this incredible universe where God dis- decided to display his glory, uh, how he's even displaying uh, even just his own character and his own who he is as a, as a you know, unity and a diversity, how he decided to do that in man and woman themselves. So there's just incredible significance in man and woman. And so we've been talking about man and woman for a while now. Uh, we started with a, an episode on hermeneutics, how we interpret our Bible. I, if you're new to this series, I really encourage you just to go and just start in the beginning of the series where we, uh, where we start with how you interpret your Bible, and then we go into Genesis 1 and 3, how did God fundamentally create man and woman in the garden before sin was a reality? And then we went in, into some uh, episodes where we've started to survey just the Bible as a whole. We went through the Old Testament. We went through the Gospels. We went through Acts. Now we're in the New, New Testament epistles, and our first episode in the New Testament epistles was just the episode before this, and we looked at, we're kind of just chronological, or I, I shouldn't say chronologically, but just how our how the epistles are laid out in order in our Bibles. That's kind of how we're going a little bit. Uh, so we started in First Corinthians. Um, whether or not First Corinthians was the first epistle that talked about man and woman, that's not what we're concerned with. Uh, it was just, you know, the f- the first <laughs> passage to really come up if you just read your Bible uh, in order, in a sense. And so we started with First Corinthians chapter eleven on this 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 topic of of head coverings, and 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 we asked the question: Okay, yes, the cultural expression of of this this relationship between a husband and a wife, where a, where a, a wife is submitting to the authority of her husband, who is her head. The cultural expression at this time in this place, Corinth, was was head coverings, and that's where we landed on that. I guess the actual physical expression of that. Uh, that might not be the case today, and we would we would you know say that we probably don't think it's the case that head coverings are how we should be expressing this this abiding principle uh, or this theology of man and woman today. We might say, hey, that might more be uh, best expressed by a woman taking her husband's last name or something like that. But we're not going to really get into that because that's what we talked about in the last episode. So go back and listen to that, that last episode on 1 Corinthians 11 to learn more about that if you haven't already. But we're going to be moving forward and we're going to be looking primarily at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And then we're going to, at the end of this episode, we're going to briefly touch on Galatians 3.28. Um, so can I, can I add something yep, there, Sam? Yep, that, that absolutely. Was really, uh, in reflection on you know our notes and our discussions that we have regarding these, one of the things I found interesting, I, I may have said it last time on 1 Corinthians 11, but let me just segue, re-emphasize it here. What I found really fascinating is that um, Paul, Paul, uh, when he's writing to Corinth, and you'll see this time in 1 Corinthians 14, you know, he's dealing with a real group of people in a real place. That's the context, and you kind of got to know what's going on there. And Certainly the context is they had all these divisions and conflicts, and we'll probably talk more about that. But the point being is that Paul specifically is addressing a problem. That's, 
okay, a, a problem in Corinth in the way they were worshiping, the order of the worship, uh, you know, the men and the women, all these sorts of things. Um, he's addressing a problem, but what, what I just want to reemphasize that I found fascinating was that the way he approached the problem, and again, it's inspired. He's speaking the very, you know, the very words of God. Um, that's what inspired means. God breathed out. God gives these words, you know, through Paul. But what I find fascinating in that discussion is Paul is because he's a man, he's resting on this foundation of a a a, a, a biblical theology or this creation theology. You could even say that we began with in the beginning of this entire series. So the whole thing that we've done from the beginning, where we went through Genesis and we went through the patriarchs and Old Testament and prophets, and then we get to Jesus and the Gospels, <clears throat> is this foundation that Paul is actually using the foundation that we've unfolded mm. over all these series to address this problem. Right. Again, I, I don't know if I needed to say that, but I just sort of, it was just, it struck me as I reviewed and, you know, we're getting ready for a new podcast and you're kind of reflecting on it. You're going, isn't that interesting? Like he's doing the very thing that we've been trying to set the stage for. Right, exactly. And, and, and so he comes up with these abiding principles, as you just said. And while sometimes the application may look a little bit different, the abiding principle is the abiding principle. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I can appreciate people that, whether, you know, I have some, some um, uh, you know, we've seen Christians uh, here locally here in Kansas who do wear like real like head coverings, you know, certain certain traditions in, in Christian history. And then they live today and they're here in my community. Uh, you could say when I went to Ukraine and Russia, you saw certain Christian women, you know, in the church would wear, actually wear a head covering. We saw some yeah. of that in Africa. And those are cultural expressions of this principle. And right. so... Whether I fully think here in my community you need to wear an actual, you know, piece of cloth on your head, isn't is the big issue here. It's it's the principle behind it, right? And so I appreciate I can appreciate though people who want to honor this principle, right? Is the is the point? I appreciate it, even though I may say, okay, I would yep. tweak the application maybe a little bit, but man, the fact that you see this in scripture and you want to honor it. Right. and lift it up and hold it as a high regard. I'm like, absolutely. That's right. awesome. Right. So, Right. Until, <laughs> as a caveat or just a, a further clarification, until they make it something legalistic, which is, you know, some some denominations or some churches will go, yeah. uh, a too, go too far with the, the, the specific cultural application, and they'll make that, like, on par with other doctrines. And that's well, where you yeah, get into this right. more fundamentalist, all doctrines on equal playing fields. So whether your, right. you know, your belief of the Trinity or your belief on head coverings, they're on the same, they're on the same playing field. And you know, if you don't wear a head covering, it's as though you, you don't believe in the, uh, the triune God. It's like no, that's not the case. That's where you've gone into right. an error. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah okay. that, that's that's great, perfect. Um, and that's the you know say the genius of it the genius of paul the genius of what we're trying to do you know it's not we're, we're just following what what the apostle paul and with jesus and the you know the new testament authors how they they modeled this reality hey the old testament scriptures applied to their their time in the first century the whole bible applies to you know has real principles and real theology that we can apply and should apply and must apply today so that's the amazing thing um 
and that's why we're 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 going through the the scriptures, and then we're eventually going to end this series with modern day application. Because here we have a whole assortment assortment of issues that we're going to deal with that we deal with today in our 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 context and in our society with our laws and and though the Bible might not speak specifically about our culture today, the the theology of the Bible and the principles of the Bible can be used and must be used to come to a, a, a correct application today, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we must use uh, the theology of the Bible and the doctrine of the Bible, no matter how old it is, uh, to address our issues today. It, can, it speaks to today as well. So that's mm-hmm. what we're going to hopefully try to show you, that uh, once we get to application, we're going to lay out all these, these issues today um, that we deal with. And here's how we will use the Bible now to help us, navigate us in our, our very complex society <laughs> that we have already said is very much uh, anti this pattern of the Bible. Uh, so we find ourselves in a very hostile uh, culture today <laughs> when it comes to manhood and womanhood. <laughs> so <laughs> it's certainly going to be difficult, but nonetheless, let's uh, let's keep moving forward. Like I said in the f- in the last episode, in the beginning of chapter 11, Paul has transitioned into addressing these issues in this, you know, this Corinthian church, these issues that have to do with the public gathering of the saints. So, the, you know, the, the believers in, in Corinth are coming together to worship God publicly. It's, you could think of it as church. You know, here they come together for church. And he's addressing all these issues in that context. So, obviously, the first issue he addresses is this 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 uh, uh, the women are supposed to adorn themselves in a certain way um, in the public gathering when they pray and they prophesy together in the public gathering. So that's what that's where he starts. And then he goes to the Lord's Supper. You know, here's all these issues of division. You guys are dividing yourselves and creating disunity over the Lord's Supper. There's some affluent people in your congregation, and, and you are prioritizing them, and and you're showing partiality. You're you're letting the the rich and affluent people eat first, uh, and 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 they can go have the Lord's supper, and they're getting they're actually getting drunk, and they're drinking all the wine, they're eating all the bread, and they're they're feasting on the Lord's supper, and they're they're pushing out these these less affluent people and these these more poor people in their congregation, <laughs> not saving any Lord's supper for them, and. The thing about the Lord's Supper is it's supposed to unite the body. It's it's this it's this expression of we're all united in Christ in His death by the shedding of His blood and the breaking of His body. Uh, so we, the 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 Lord's Supper is this visible expression of the unity of the church. We all eat from the same bread. We all drink from the same cup, and it's this it's this beautiful display of of unity. And they were doing the exact opposite. They were using it as a way to create division big deal and that's why paul even says some of you are dying you you know god's actually killing you because of how you're abusing the lord's supper big deal stuff uh and then he moves into spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and i think there's a couple things that we want to say about spiritual gifts just because of how relevant it is for this picture of the body um you know again at this at this point in in this church they were creating divisions again. They were they were dividing themselves over this 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 reality of spiritual gifts. Again, <laughs> it seems like the Corinthian church, they were they were finding any way they possibly can to to make some divisions. <laughs> yeah. It's Conflict. somewhat comical. Con- really is. 
They had conflicts with leaders and who, what leaders they follow. Oh, yeah. Who I do follow Apollos. I follow Paul. Yeah, they, you know. they, have leader, they, have, they have divisions in gifts. They have divisions in this order of worship. They have divisions oh, with male, male and female. Uh, sexual relationships. They've crossed all sorts of boundaries on those. People having sex with people they shouldn't even be with. You know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Incest, it's kind of crazy. Stuff. No, no, really, the whole thing is just kind of a mess. And so Paul has to step in there and say, "No, wait a minute, let's bring some order back to this thing." And right, anyway. yeah, right. So, so here we have this this teaching of spiritual gifts, and why it's a- applicable to this whole discussion of manhood and womanhood is because, hey, both men and women are given spiritual gifts. The the spirit of God lives in all true believers, man and woman, and the spirit manifests in each true believer a gift or a set of gifts, however you want to think about it. We're not going to we're going we're not going to get into a discussion on on spiritual gifts particularly right now. Maybe someday down the road we'll have a series on what our thoughts are on spiritual gifts. But nonetheless, the clear teaching in scripture is, hey, if you're a believer, you do have a spiritual gift or gifts or however you want to think about it. The spirit manifests these gifts in you so that you may serve the body in a particular way. And this is good. Uh, so the, the picture that he gives is yeah, the picture of the body. Uh, the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. The eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. Uh, the, we're all united together and, and, and there, there isn't this conflict here. The, the hand isn't in conflict with the foot. They need each other. And they both work in, a, in, a, in an incredible way to serve the body as a whole. It's this beautiful picture. It's this beautiful reality. And they're all connected to the head who is Christ. On that, you know, That's obviously very much uh, explained in Ephesians 4. Uh, we're all united to this head. And, and Christ is our authority. So both men and women are essential. You know, That's an important word to... to Hold on, hold on to here is both men and women are essential in the body of Christ because both men and women are giving spiritual gifts by the Spirit of God to serve the body in a unique and important way. So there's no well, part and, of the body. And, and, yeah, that your can emphasis say, right there. Well, yeah, keep going, Sam. I'm sorry. I, I oh, have I'm, I'm just kidding. No that. part of the body can say, hey, I'm more important than you. Right. And, We're and, all and I like your. And I just want to use that word uniqueness. Okay. So. So there's one spirit, different gifts, and, and and you've emphasized it, you've said it, but but the point we're trying to say is like, even if one seems like, quote unquote, the big gift versus yeah. the small gift, that's not, it's immaterial. It's right. not the point. There, It doesn't matter if one is given, let's say, the, the, the ability to preach. Right. And they say, oh, that's the big gift, or, you know, the evangelist, or whatever, the, whatever discussion we have there. That's not any more or less important than the one who's given the gift of serving. Right. And so in this body, all these parts are needed. And in, in the, the natural um, uh, connecting the dots segue then is when we get to the male-female relationships throughout here. Same right. thing, right? Like, no, there's uniquenesses, there's diversity, right. but there's one. It's, it, it's all needed. Right. And, and it creates a symphony Right. Not a cacophony. Right. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful right. thing to see. Right. It, exactly. So, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. And it, it comes back again to the stewardship principle of, hey, God has given you gifts, spiritual gifts. He's given you, he's given you varying relationships. He's given you material things, resources, uh, put you in a certain family. You know, if we can, we won't, we won't get into it now, but made you a certain skin color, <laughs> and 
and you know put you in a specific place in a specific time in history and you need to steward all that god has given you um mm-hmm. and and the same is true with your maleness or your femaleness god has made you a male or he's made you a female uh there's no it's one or the other this whole transgender ideology that's running rampant right now in our culture is flat out unbiblical flat out wrong uh there is no conflict between your your what you perceive uh immaterial immaterially or spiritually you are like oh i'm a man trapped in a woman's body or i'm a woman trapped in a man's body that's that's lunacy that doesn't exist that's not real no your your spirit is a man and your body is a man your spirit is a woman and your body is a woman there's no conflict there and so either if you're a man or a woman you have to steward your maleness and you have to steward your femaleness and god has clearly said that there's there's varying there's roles that are, so, are associated with with your maleness or your femaleness like we, we looked at the back in genesis 2 uh, a woman is made to be man's suitable helper fit for him so woman is made and paul brought this back up he quoted it in in first corinthians 11 this idea that man woman is made from man for man uh, man is the authority or the head. A woman is to submit to her head. Um, and so that's that's the reality. So stewardship applies to that. You have to steward yeah, your th- femaleness or your maleness. Yeah, let me let me step back too. One of the other things uh, to emphasize again too is that this all comes from the nature of God. Right. That he created man in his image. He created a world from his very being. And his being being, being the triunity, the trinity. Three yep. persons, one God, right? So right. it's the per- perfect unity and diversity. Then he creates the body of Christ. In this case, you were talking about gifts. And it's one spirit, one body, but different parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then, of course, to our point that we've been doing, he's created man and woman, different, unique, but one flesh. Yep. Same sort of thing again. Beautiful. There's this unity, unity and diversity that really becomes this beautiful symphony that's to be expressed. Exactly. So, and let me let me take one step back too, Sam, just for the sake of the podcast. When you said, um, yep. you said th- there's no conflict between, would you say, uh, uh, feeling like a woman trapped in a man's body? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Transgender. Well, there, I, I just want to emphasize, I, certainly we, we, we would say there is a conflict, though, for that person struggling with that. Oh, what yeah. we're saying is... A, a fleshly conflict. Right. And yeah, God a sinful conflict. But, but God's right. creation was the two fit together, meaning... Right. Who you are is an immaterial soul. Right. It is actually male or female, and it coincides with the way your yes. biological DNA. God actually created that. Now, if you feel a tension there, which somebody even listening to this might have that conflict, the conflict is with something awry in your soul that you have to reconcile with God. Because we we all have, because this is the, the nature of sinfulness. We right. all have have a sinful reality to our being right. that jack, that jacks stuff up. So we have temptations and struggles with all sorts of things. And we have to go to God, uh, his word, and what he says about that. We don't resolve that by going, oh, this is the way it, I really am. And therefore, I need to change, for example, change body parts to try to coincide with how I feel. Right. I would say, well, no, how you feel is probably the issue that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. and, and and there might be a lot of reasons you're feeling that way, desiring that, and it needs to be addressed. Right. And fundamentally, the reason is because you're sinful. Right. Which, right. Yeah. Right. Yep. So now, contextually, we're in, you know, right now we're, you know, we're kind of walking through here in First Corinthians. We're in chapter 12 talking about spiritual gifts. 
Uh, this is all just to lead us up to chapter 14 where we're going to get to our next passage. Uh, but it seems as though the divisions in the church, Corinth church, on spiritual gifts were really centered on these two gifts of, of speaking in tongues and prophecy. It seemed as though that this church was elevating these gifts above every other gift. So these are these are the top dogs right here. Here we go. Boom. The people who speak in tongues, they're just this much better than everybody else. It seems especially tongues was that gift that was really being elevated. Um, and and Paul is bringing some a reality check, you could say, to these these the, these people, these Christians in Corinth. Uh, you know, tongues isn't more important than any other gift. Um, and he even makes a, a crazy statement. Hey, I rather speak, you know, I rather speak five intelligible words than you know a thousand in tongues. Like he's just making a point. Hey. This isn't as big of a deal as you're making it seem, um, and and he's bringing a reality check to him. So they're creating these divisions, um, and then in this context now of of speaking about tongues and prophecy, is where we get to chapter fourteen, and and now Paul is explaining the order. How okay you ha- there are some people in your congregation who speak in tongues and prophecy. And again, like I said, we're not going to get into what our personal beliefs are on this gift of tongues and this gift of prophecy because I, I certainly do have my position that I absolutely love to articulate, but I will articulate it in a different podcast episode where we talk about or where I talk about my belief on spiritual gifts. <laughs> but nonetheless, in this context, okay, if you have people who have this gift of tongues and this gift of prophecy, it needs to be done orderly because – these two types of gifts entail speaking. People are speaking. Mm-hmm. So people are speaking in tongues. People are giving prophecies. And and when you do this, you, there has to be some order to it. So he's he's talking about, hey, if somebody comes with a tongue, no more than two or three should speak in tongues, you know, in a given church service. And there needs to be an interpreter. That's a given. Like, don't you can't speak in tongues unless you know you have an interpreter to interpret it. Because we're about order. We're about intelligibility. We're about edification. And and a tongue uninterpreted doesn't edify anybody because nobody knows what it is. And then the same with prophecy. So, oh, well, emphasize, well, just emphasizing that again because you're going to talk about it maybe in some other podcast someday. But I like I like your emphasis on speaking, and I would say yeah, there's this communication. But but there, yeah, I mean, it, it goes without saying. But I that, that sounds dumb, right? It goes without saying, and now I'm going to say it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but the point is, as communication is knowledge. Yeah. There, there, there's you could say information, you could say right. knowledge. There, there's something, this piece of something meaning knowledge, or yep. I guess you say information. I'll use the, I like knowledge better, is being communicated. Yeah. Within this assembly of people. Right. That's that's actually what's happening here. So right. Prophecy is the idea of you know declaring some truth, and then we have to have the question: Is this just something that they generate in their mind? Is it, is it emphasizing some part of scripture? That's another discussion. Right. Tongues. Same thing. They have this communication that somehow um, God has given them, and they want to communicate this. Because that's right. that's that's the picture you have to think about. There's somebody sitting there that wants to communicate something that that God has given them to communicate. Right. Yep. And, and so, so what's and and what's the order of that? How's that? What's that supposed to look like? How's ex- that supposed to ex- unfold? Exactly. And you and you can all you can all imagine. You've all been in a in a room where everybody's talking at once, and when everybody's talking at once, it's you would call it very disordered. 
that's very disordered and nobody really is understanding or it's just very it's confusing like I can't I can't make sense of this big mob of people just all talking at once it just doesn't make sense so there needs to be order so that we can be intelligible people <laughs> uh, and that we may be edified so I'm gonna just gonna jump to we're in chapter 14 now I'm gonna start in verse 26 and we're gonna start reading and we'll we'll run into our passage that we're really gonna talk about the role of man hey, men and women in verse hey, can I can I can I say something about that too Sam I want you in the context I want you to think this through um, you find this in pagan religions you yeah know, ungodly satanic pagan religions which right. I find very inter interesting okay that is think about this you walk in the room and there's all these people doing these let me use the word ecstatic things yeah they're yeah. having these, you know, the fainting and falling and screaming and yelling and some kind of words. And, and it can look like that that's like the spiritual thing that's happening. Right. Well, that's very common in pagan, you know, Correct. weird, even really demonic, awful looking worship. Everybody's out it's of control chaotic. and screaming and having, yeah, it's chaotic. They're having these experiences. And remember, um, this is even theological. The whole reality of the creation, if we again go back to Genesis, was about bringing order out of disorder. Yep. God's God's intention is always about bringing order. Right. So while you may walk into this setting and there's all this crazy stuff going on, it's easy to say, "Oh, that must be spiritual." Right. And that's apparently what's happening in Corinth. Mm-hmm. And God's coming in going, no, not be just because there's this craziness going on and all this stuff does not mean that that's spiritual. Right. It doesn't mean that. You know, it's rightly spiritual, let me say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it might be spiritual in a demonic way. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, and that's what the pagan worship was. Exactly. And that's, you know, a little bit of a side note there. Think of word of faith, uh, very charismatic oh. worship. It's very much that it's very chaotic there's people yeah. flopping on the ground there's people laughing there's people yelling there's people speaking in tongues yeah ecstatically it's not ordered in the slightest that is not biblical worship worship biblical yeah. worship is ordered it always yeah but it's in, it's interesting right people will walk in a setting like that and there'll be people going wow the spirit's here yeah and you uh, want to go well maybe not maybe, maybe not. not maybe maybe the wrong spirit's that. here yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay. Uh, and, and so, go ahead. Yep. So, verse 26. I'm going to start reading. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Again, dance and communication. There's communication. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. So, here we have... Hey, there might be 20 people in your congregation that can speak in tongues, but when you guys come together, only two or three. Order. It's incredible. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. So here we go again. So that was tongues, now here's prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. So we have this reality. Okay, with tongues, you, you have to have an interpreter. With prophecy, you have to have a weighing of the prophecy. Why do you have to have it weighed? Because he's not, again, again, we'll have a discussion. I'm sure I'll have a discussion sometime on what I believe about prophecy and tongues and all that stuff. But at this point, I'll just say, uh, 
One thing we do know, whatever this gift of prophecy is, it's not spirit-inspired revelation. It's not, it's not the same as what Paul is doing when he's writing the letter of Corinth, to the Corinthians. It's not inspired by the Holy Spirit and therefore infallible and inher- inerrant and, and authoritative. You know, it's not that. So it needs to be weighed. Well, and your point, yeah, that's, and that's your point. If it was that, it wouldn't have to be weighed. Right, exactly. Right. And and, not- interesting, and interesting enough, if I could just add to that, I mean, how are you going to weigh this? How do you weigh this? Well, yeah. weighing means you are, you have to contrast it, compare it to something. Yep. And as we as we see in uh, Acts in Berea, they they would take everything Paul said, and what would they weigh it with? They would weigh it with Scripture. Yep. Exactly. So so you have to take this knowledge that comes to them, and you have to say, okay, now I need to uh, determine: do I do we think this is accurate, inaccurate? valid invalid and you have to weigh it which means you have to compare it to something mm-hmm. that's how you weigh something you have a standard by which you lay something next to the standard yep. and see is it heavier or less than think of a scale right you yep. have to have a you have to have an actual one pound weight that you say there's the standard yep there's one pound weight and then you compare it is this more or less so yep they have to weigh this knowledge that's come and which and I'm emphasizing what you're saying Sam what you're what you're saying then is that this 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 knowledge that comes might be coming from the spirit but it's not infallible inspired in the sense of like Paul writing scripture because it may turn out not to be accurate exactly so it has a different weight yep and you ha- you have to determine that. So this this group of believers has to figure that out. That's the context. Right. Okay? Right. Right. Okay. All right. Boom. Perfect. So, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. Look at this. He's he's even saying, hey, you can't talk. Two two people can't talk at once here. Like he's getting really detailed about it. It's really incredible because that's just again very. Dis- disordered. He is. Paul is so adamant of, of 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 explaining how ordered your public gatherings have to be. So let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. So here we have some more. We have some details. Who are the people that are weighing these prophe- These prophecies. Well. Other prophets, the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Here we have a a wonderful reason, a truth of why Paul is saying this to him. Why? Because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. It's an amazing reality. Uh, That's why when you walk into a worship service and everybody's flopping on the ground and everybody's yelling at once, that is not of God. Because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace and order. It's important to know that. So, so let me say now, now we're getting into the text that's talking about men and women. And again, it's one of those texts that that is is <laughs> is really rubbed people's fur the wrong way. Uh, it's been debated often. It can really offend people. It's certainly been an offensive passage. <laughs> um, but we have to understand it contextually. So what's the context? The context is prophecy. The context is the public worship gathering. The context is is the wane of prophecy. So as in all the churches of the saints, um, 
again, now we start in verse 34. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, now let me let me let me take this out of context, as you're not supposed to do. And if you were just to take this verse 34 uh, and 35 out of context, remove it from from the context of weighing of prophecy, and just read it as it is. You know, I don't permit a woman to. You know, women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. That would be pretty clear. Okay. Women can't speak in church ever. But again, how do we know that's not what it's saying? Because we we actually saw in our passage in our last podcast episode um, on on head covering stuff. If you go back to chapter 11, you read chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every Wife who prays her prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So we've already learned. That's why it's so important to, hey, don't forget what you've already read in this in this letter. This is a letter and it's written as a whole and it's written linearly and logically and there's an argument. And so Paul has already said that, hey, w- women are praying and prophesying in this church. And and he's saying that like he's he's already said like that's that's allowed. That's allowed, but there's some rules with this praying and prophesying. And one of the rules we have already learned, at least in this, again, again, a cultural expression in this time, in this place, Corinth, is that a woman, when she prays and prophecies, if she's a wife, should have her head covered. So there's there's a rule, in, you could say, in this, in this congregation. And now we get another rule, and that is when weighing prophecy, a woman must keep silent. So... What we learn is not that she can't pro- pray or prophecy. It's not that she can't speak or be a part of this. But when it comes to the the specific task of weighing this prophecy, she has to remain silent. She can't. She actually can't weigh the prophecy. Um, and if she has something she wants to say, or she has a thought, or she's you know wants to you know, she has to she has to ask her husband at, at home. If she does have a thought about that prophecy, talk to her husband at home. So that's 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 what's really being said here. When prophecy is weighed, women must remain silent. Why? Uh, again, back to this this principle, back to this abiding principle of women are to submit to their heads, their authorities, who are their husbands, and, and Paul says, as the law also says. So this is this is grounded again back in the Old Testament, back in the law. Um, th- this isn't just something he made up on the spot. He's always pointing back to scripture. He's always pointing back to creation. He's always pointing back to the Old Testament, to the pattern. Do you have anything to add on that, Dan? <laughs> well, I'm I, I'm envisioning the setting. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I have two thoughts. Okay, so I'm envisioning the setting and the chaos, Corinth. Okay, so yep. you have all these people. Somebody says this prophecy. Now you have all these people sitting in this service. Let's say, weighing in on it. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, in light of this, you may even have a wife that weighs indifferently than the husband. Oh, yep. And I, I'm not trying to make I'm not trying to make something that's not, but like right. that becomes this conflict because I mean, you know, my wife and I don't always see everything eye to eye, and we have to have we have to work it out. You know? Yep. Well, you can imagine a bunch of that going on in this setting. 
mm-hmm. in, a, in you know in the church setting, it's like, well, there's not order here. You can't. There's lots of ideas about what this thing is and the weighing of it, weighing out. Okay, mm-hmm. and so Paul's going, no, no, no. Let's just let's get this clear. This this is to be weighed out by a few of the those that are called prophets, and specifically, then, if I were to apply other scriptures, and I'm getting. I don't want to get too far ahead of application, but clearly we will see that this this is uh, the elders in the church, leaders, elders in the church are to be men, mm-hmm. right? And so that that would that would be a you know a f- that would fit with this context. So, yep. and and w- and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it's clear in Scripture that you know the elders were to be men, and so right. it's a way weighing out, it's bringing order. Yep. It's not saying saying a woman doesn't have some kind of truth to bring to the table. That's right. not the point. Because she may. She may have a truth to bring to the table in this congregation, meaning a prophecy or a tongue. And there's a place for her to do that. Yep. But then they have to sit back and go, okay, is this of God? Is What do we do with this? And that's for these these uh, prophet elders yep. who, are, who are men to make that judgment. Right. Exactly. And if she has some thoughts about it, she could go home and say, "Husband, um, so it's honoring the principle of headship. It's yep. honoring the principle that she has a truth. It's honoring the principle that maybe she has some insight." Yep. You know, she goes home and says, "Okay, husband, um, you know, I heard that, but what about this? And yep. what about this? And I want to. Can we talk about this? Yeah, let's talk about it." So, right. Okay. Yep. Exactly. So that's great. So, I mean, it seems pretty clear. Think about the, let's. I'm just going to finish up the chapter because Paul concludes it very well uh, before he transitions into chapter 15. But he goes, "Or was it from you that the word of God came? Um, or are you the only ones that has reached? You know, he's basically saying, hey, you're not the you're not the top of the world here. You're not the only church on in the world here. <laughs> there's a lot of other bodies. There's there's churches all over the Roman world. You're not the only ones here." Uh, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that uh, that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So he, he kind of lays down the law here a little bit. This is a command. I'm commanding you here. Uh, y- you can't just take or leave what I'm saying. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophecy. That's good. That's good. Desire to, to express your gifts. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order, which includes yeah. the the role of a man and the role of a woman in this public gathering, and, and you could say that even that that's a conclusion in this whole section. So that even has to do with this head covering thing that we looked at in the last episode. Like all things must be done decently and in order. You're not the only people here. Um, you know, other churches that I have planted and that I that I look after are are doing these things orderly. You're not the only ones here. You have to also. Be submissive to to my letter, which is you know I'm he's writing spirit inspired scripture, and this is a command of the Lord. <laughs> well, isn't that something, right? You just said it, but man, that's a great statement. Thirty seven. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Yeah, what I'm writing to you is what the is is the words of God. Yeah, that's an incredible thing. That really is an amazing statement. You know, I think it's the first time, I mean, we've studied this, but that, that that particular aspect jumps out at me once again. I mean, there's lots of places that we have this, but yeah, he's again, he's saying, okay, so you have this prophecy, uh, you have this thing that looks like it might be knowledge from God brought yep. to the church by a woman or a man. Yep. Uh, 
but there's a way to weigh that out. Yep. And when I am telling you on how to do this, is literally the words of God. Yeah, your prophecy has to be weighed against the word of God. What I'm telling you is the word of God. That's crazy. Yeah. That's an amazing statement. That's a pretty bold statement. Man. Oh, that's a that is an apostolic stamp right there. Hey, listen up. I'm yeah. not. Uh, I've been given an authority, a unique authority by by God Himself, by Jesus Himself, yeah. commissioned by the Lord. Yep. And this is there's something special here. And He talks about. Yeah. You know, He writes. Yep. He wrote four letters to the Corinthians. We only have two. I mean, because yeah. they were they were a messy church. He had Paul had a lot of he he poured out his heart to this church. If you go read the second letter to the Corinthians that we have, yeah. Um, and man, you just see him pouring out his heart, and you see him where he goes. You know, I don't. He doesn't want to exercise like his 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 apostolic authority in the sense of like. I'm just going to lay down the law because I can because I'm an apostle. He he's he's being gentle with them in many ways, oh, yeah. um, but there is this reality though. He is the an apostle of Jesus Christ. He does have this apostolic authority, unlike unlike the you know other than the apostles in that day, which were a f- just you know well, a, a couple handfuls. He has he has an authority over these prophecies that they're giving. Yep, exactly. I mean, he really does. I mean, these are these need to be weighed out, but some of them could be right, some of them could be wrong. Which yep. is interesting, right? And, and I think, and I think the other aspect of this again, it's orderly worship. Um, clearly, there's a way of the emphasis here is on this worship. But like you said, Sam, if you took 34 and 35 um, out of the context, which people do, and it yeah. cuts both, it, it could cut both ways. One, right. a woman could read this and go, "Oh, is that a terrible thing? You mean a woman doesn't have a voice?" Yeah, which and a lot of people have done. Yeah, and, and there are men that would, would certainly try to apply it that way and say a woman doesn't have a voice. Right, look, and, and I can show that, you the scriptures. That's not, that's not saying a woman doesn't have something to contribute. We've already addressed that right? Um, from even 1 Corinthians 11, but there's an orderly a way to do this. Yes, precisely. And that's not, and that's not caving to uh, a cultural egalitarianism. By the way, I mean, right. Listen, listen to all of our podcasts. <laughs> right. Like that's not the point. But this specific passage, since you have to touch on it, is has to do with order right. in the worship. Right. Yep. Okay. Okay. So I think great. I think great. I feel great about that. Um, I hope you listening feel great about it too. <laughs> you know, it's called preaching persuade. Like we're preaching the word. We're 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 trying to walk. You know, really exegetically is the correct term. Like verse by verse, let's walk through the text. Let's show you the text, and hopefully, when the text is on the table and you see it contextually, you go, "Yeah, I'm persuaded," or you persuade, or the text persuaded me of this truth. That's the whole point. Yeah. So now yeah. we're gonna, you know, we're 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 down with First Corinthians in our in our in our survey of these epistles here. Uh, we're gonna quick jump to Galatians and not. Hear me say this. Uh, I've been kind of playing out this this analogy like, hey, this pattern that has been displayed in the scriptures thus far, like again, we're towards the end of our Bibles. We're, we're, we're in the mid-first century here, towards the end of the first century. Uh, uh, the apostles are nearing, you know, they're, they're in their ministry right now, but, but after the ap- apostolic ministry is done and the apostles, the end of the apostles... You know, the last apostle dies, which is John, um, and the last inspired book is written, Revelation. Uh, the scriptures are done, and the canon is closed. Here we have all that we have, and and again, this pattern started 
at least when it comes to the the written scripture with Moses and and man, what is it about sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred BC? About yeah. people yeah. say yeah. maybe fifteen hundred BC. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a, a at least a written pattern that has that is nearly a couple thousand years old and an actual pattern. You know, we could say like at least four thousand years old if you want to hold to a young Earth position when the time of the Garden. You know, at least four thousand. You know, we could have all these arguments. Well, maybe Adam and Eve were ten thousand years old. Whatever. Uh, nonetheless, this is a long pattern. And there's a yeah. lot of scripture that is that is just yeah. absolutely hammering home this this created des, you know this created design in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden. Man created from the dust. Woman created from Adam's rib. From man's foreman as a helper suitable for him. They're both made in the image of God. They have equal honor, worth, dignity, dignity and value. But yet they're distinct and different in role, uh, which models and mirrors the the the, the Trinity. It's this beautiful thing. Uh, it, 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 like, again, this is all these scriptures that we have looked at thus far have been proving that order, proving that design. Um, and and we have had no scripture that contradicts it. And so what I've been saying is if you are going to have a scripture that is going to overturn all other scriptures in this whole pattern, it needs to be like an atomic bomb. It needs to be so huge, so big, so clear, so explicit. It almost needs to say, hey, I know that so far in Scripture, the role of a man and the role of a woman has been this, you know, to this point. But I'm saying now that this pattern is null and void, and here is the new pattern. You know, it has to be almost that clear. Yeah. And and so I would say we don't have even we don't have any we don't have anything even close to that. And so when 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 the other side of the argument, you could say the egalitarian feminist theology side of the argument comes and says, here's that verse. I want to go, man, I think you're pulling a rabbit out of a hat here. You're you're doing some magic, um, some mental gymnastics. You're doing something weird, uh, some sleight of hand. I don't know what it is. <laughs> a card trick. I don't know. Yeah, but. But Galatians three twenty eight is is one of those verses. There's a few verses that that they may yeah. that that you know these people use in their arguments to say, okay, here it is. Here's where this pattern's overturned. And okay, we got to be in, in a good dialogue. You have to be able to interact with the counter argument. So if you're if somebody's telling me, hey, here's the passage that I want to put on the table and say, well, what about this? Does this is this overturning the pattern? How do you approach this? What is this actually saying? So we have to do, we have to do that. Um, mm. okay. And and Galatians three twenty eight is one of those passages. You know, I would say I, probably I, the passage. Yeah, yeah. Can I say something quick about that, Sam? I yep. know it's uh, I'm not going I am not going to go way down a rabbit trail, but you know, in the conversation, what strikes me when you say that kind of this light goes on for me again is like I realize that sometimes in these conversations, whether it's you and I, Sam, or other settings, I've heard people say, like, are you always in a fight against something? Oh, yeah. And, and I want to go, you're right. That's, that's kind of like, I don't want my whole life to be a fight against everything. But at the same time, um, the, 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 um, the context that we're talking and the life that we're living, the life you're living, Sam, the life I'm living, and and then if I go to the scriptures, clearly early in the scriptures, much of the scriptures are written in the context of conflict. 
Yeah. You know, like, again, even this, Paul has to come into Corinth, like we've just been doing the last yeah. of discussions, saying, okay, there's this conflict. There's this outside influence, or however you want to look at it, uh, but there's this conflict that needs to be addressed. And so a lot of, since the fall in the garden, uh, a lot of life has been that way. And mm. so, you know, you go to, uh, the one I always go to, I don't know why, but I always kind of go to First John, but it's always intrigued me. I don't know why, but... That First John is written in the context of what's known as Gnosticism. Yeah. It was a, a way of people who, who claim to be in the church. That's what you got to get your mind around. Right. Who came into the church with an idea to kind of improve Christianity, to bring some ideas, amalgamate them. That means like, you know, enmesh, bring these ideas and, and try to enmesh them with, if you will, biblical Christianity and make a new kind of thing that's supposedly new and improved. And... That's what John is addressing in First John. He's going, no, 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 no. This is not new and improved. It's not right. Right. And so a lot of the scripture is written in that. So with that said, I'm just saying that um, uh, though a lot of times we kind of come at that, you almost have to, and you realize that a lot of scripture does that. A lot of history does that. And then given your and I's context, here we are removed by a generation from each other, um, but we're swimming in waters where there are like, aggressive, aggressive attacks against the church, against the truth of God. Mm -hmm. it's, it's where we live here in the West. Again, I know you have people from other cultures and countries listening to us, and I don't know everybody's experience. But today in the United States of America, there are aggressive attacks against the truths of God. There just there just are. And yeah. and and they're they're really pervasive in how they're framed and they're brought into the church and they and they get kind of accepted and adopted you know as mm. this is the the foundation i start at you know mm. meaning like so you you have people that grew up in a say the united states of america they've been being educated say they're third you know 25 30 35 40 well they've been being educated in the media and the culture in public school education to think about a lot of life a certain way mm-hmm and then what happens is they, they come to faith in Christ, and often then they take this foundation that they had that was prior to Christ, and they bring things from the church and try to attach it to that. Mm -hmm. It happens It's just, oh, it's it happens just like all the time. All the time. It's very per pervasive. And you've got to stop and go, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I'm not to take that idea out there and figure out how it fits in scripture, I start with scripture. I start with what God said first, mm. right? And right. so, um, you know, maybe um, maybe I didn't need to say all that. No, I'm just you, saying you because, absolutely because, needed to say that because you're a reaction, and I know it because we've right. had this discussion. We both know what's going on. That this Galatians three passage that we're about to go to. People really use it to try to build this case for an egalitarian view, and it's like it's not really even addressing that. No. But it's what they do. And so it right. sort of feels sort of frustrating. Like what? They're trying to find a passage to fit this idea they have, and they think this might be the magic bullet or something. Mm -hmm. you know? and mm -hmm. It's like, so I'm just trying to emphasize again. Yep. Yeah. If we're pushing against something, we are. Yep. We are. Yep. You know? Yep, we are, and, uh, and I and I and I sort of wish all of life well, didn't feel that way at times. To be well, honest with you, I mean, I, I really here's, do. Here's the deal, but it, <laughs> you can't escape the conflict, even in your own. You lock yourself in a room and you say, "I'm going to go live in the woods and not see any other person." 
you are going to you're going to have conflict in your own soul because you have this flesh and you have to fight it and you yeah. have to put it to death and you yeah. have to take every thought captive. You're fighting a spiritual war. Uh, be what you know. Jesus says, "Watch, so you may not fall into temptation." You have got to be on guard at all times. There is Satan is flinging arrows at you nonstop. This, this, you, this, we're in this cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, between light and darkness, good and evil. This is actually happening, and to pretend mm-hmm. like we're not in this cosmic battle is is foolishness. Yeah. And you will, you will, you will then fall prey to the deception if you're not actively resisting it. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, Sam. Again, this is a different discussion, I know, but it's probably valuable to talk about for a couple minutes. But I think what happens with this is that, um, again, speaking on an age perspective. Okay, so yeah, um, you know, again, I'm 40 years older than you, and so right, I grew up in a Western. America, Western civilization society, that a lot of things in the civil society, in the, just the, the common uh, civil society for all of us, had a lot, even though, I mean, and I wasn't a Christian, so I was in my 20s. So, but I grew up in a civil society that had a lot of things within the civil society that were, I could say, Judeo-Christian. Mm. You know, ethics and morality. Like mm-hmm. I grew up with a with a lot of that. I really did. Like mm-hmm. there were certain things. You know, what we we think, what we applaud today, as uh, as diversity, like in the sexual world. Even as a non Christian, we'd say, no, that's just perverse. That's just wrong. Mm-hmm. It, it, you just did. You know, homosexuality. No, that's just wrong. Yep. How about non Christian? You could be a non Christian and you knew it was wrong. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it wasn't something good. It wasn't something to be celebrated. And that was common. That was, that was common stuff. I, I had this discussion politically recently. Like, um, you know, you could go to, you know, the, and I'm not trying to go down a political road, but like you could have went to what's known as classic liberals that generally represented the Democrat Party. And, of course, conservative, you know, represented the Republican Party in general. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of, I know there's variations there, and I'm not trying to get into that discussion. But let's just say these two groups. But they agreed on a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you know, Bill Clinton is a classic liberal Democrat. Believed marriage was a man and a woman. I mean, Obama in his early uh, days was a, a man and a woman. I mean, that yeah. was just kind of a it was a given, right? And then then there began to be these ideas that began to change the mind of people, and that's the point. Yep. And so you, at your age now, at twenty five, are living in a world um, that is very different than the world I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And so guy, people my age sometimes may not even know the intensity of this conflict. I find that sometimes. You know, I have friends that are 70, 75, and you start describing to them what, you know, a college person is being confronted with and dealt with. And mm-hmm. uh, even in an indoctrination of the things that they've been being taught, you know, this current one, critical race theory is a discussion. But you're dealing with a whole generation of people now, say 30 years old, who have been being taught this yeah. since high school. I yeah. wasn't taught that. Right. And you don't even realize, no, they do not see things the way I see them. Right. As a 60-year-old, just because of the world I grew up in was even different. Right. So, so again, the reason you have to do all of this is this, I mean, it should go without saying as a Christian, but it's true. Like, I've got to go back and say, okay, let me build my foundations, starting that God is there, who he is, he actually spoke to me, and then work out my discussion. Yep. And and so I, I don't just take Christianity and attach it to my prior presuppositions, you could say, or prior worldview. I've got to go back and re, 
evaluate my entire framework of how I think about fundamentals of life. Right. And again, if I went back to generation, not saying I lived in a better generation. I have we we had our I have my sin or we had our sin. But the one thing we did have is that there were pieces within my pre-Christian worldview, if you will, that I just kind of inherited that actually align more with biblical Christianity, though I wasn't a Christian and I was a reprobate. And you know what I'm saying? Yep. I'm just like, God rescued me. And But there were natural things within me that just were common, you know, decency, the way you treated elders. I've noticed a lot of these differences, respect, honor. There were just lots of things that were normal in my, if you will, childhood and growing up that I've talked to you know enough college students now, literally you know hundreds and thousands on campuses, going, oh, you don't even have that in your grid. <laughs> the things yeah. that I had in my grid, right? You know? I'm not, and I'm not saying it at like a, a a critical shutdown. I'm just going, no, that's real. So, yeah. in light of this, that's part of sometimes in these discussions that you and I have with these men and women is that you're confronted with the tsunami that I see now, but you like like you're living it in your generation, and it's just wholesale tsunami people believe all this and it's like wait a minute time out yeah right yeah and you go you look through history and you go you know the dead the dead old guy heroes of the faith that we look at and we go okay they lived their whole life we can we can look back in history and go that was the battle that they fought you know whatever it was maybe in the yeah in this you know in the in the 1700s it was the onset of modernism and 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 all that stuff, and in the 20th century, it was it was communism and Marxism or whatever it was, and and oh, you know, with Spurgeon, it was the downgrade controversy, and you know, these 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 battles that you would look back and go, there, that was the battle that this person fought, you know, back in the first few centuries, it was the it was the Aryan controversy, and it was, it was different Trinit- Trinitarian controversies, and and the nature of Christ and stuff like that, and so today, I honestly think. The battle of our day, of my day, looking forward, is this battle uh, on sexual ethics, uh, the the nature of man and woman, the nature of of humanity as a whole, critical race theory, social justice stuff. Like this is, and it obviously all stems back to this this you know what's what's authority, what's you know what's the authority of life, what's the nature of truth. It certainly all stems back to that. Um, we're dealing with postmodernism today is kind of the enemy that kind of undergirds it all. And it's like, that's what we're dealing with today. That's going to be, let's say if 200 years in the future, if Christ doesn't return and people and, 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 and Christian scholars look back and they look at, you know, the heroes of the faith in the 21st century and they go, this was the battle that they fought. I'd say, this is it right here. What we're talking about. Yeah. So, well, and if I if I put one statement behind that, Sam, it's fundamentally what's it mean to be human? Yeah, really, it's crazy that that's actually what's on the table now. Is what does it mean to be human? We don't even know. What's, People don't even what's know. It mean to, yeah, what's it mean to be a human person? And then from that comes the identity and yep. male, female. All the all these discussions yep. really come from. And and again, let's just keep emphasizing what we do in our podcast is that how do I answer that question? Yeah, where, where where do I go for the answer to that question? What's it fundamentally to be human? And I I believe I need to go to God and see what God says. What yep. it means to be boom human. the Bible and 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 then everything else uh, is subordinate to that. Yep, 
awesome. and where and where some where somebody does some kind of you know research or study and they find a truth that you go oh yeah my Bible talks about that truth yeah yeah, yeah. it's been talking about you it know, for I, a thousand I, years <laughs> yeah I, yeah well and I get that I get that yep. and you and you say that Sam in these discussions it's interesting like how many like different types of research you brought up like a, a popular guy in the last few years was Jordan Peterson brought a lot yeah. of this delight but I mean the stuff's out there for I mean numbers of people know about this stuff but like. There are these like fundamental differences between uh, men yeah. and women. It's like these. Oh, it's 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 it's. I don't know. I don't. I shouldn't say it's comical. It's it's. It is a little comical. It's like oh, psycho. You know, psychiatry, psychology, all this stuff. Like they do all these these personality tests, and they and they do all these all this research. And they find oh man, there actually is a difference in the personality yeah. of a man and a woman. Who would have thunk? And we go, well, duh. <laughs> I can look in Genesis 1 through 3, and I can say, yep, I see yeah. it right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you go, man. So, but it's cool we, that, hey, science isn't in opposition to God's word. It's, uh, But again, all even all uh, scientific op- uh, discoveries have to be weighed against Scripture as well, because Scripture is the well, revealed word. Well, Wade, Wade, you're using the word Wade. It's interpretation is the issue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, God, God created a real world. Right. A and, real world. And, and, and in a sense, you could say that revelation, that revealing of that real world is infallible. It is what it is. Yep. It's real. People don't, you know, they, it really is. It was without error. It was, he said it was very good. He created it. Yep. It's there. Okay, we got to well, reel it back. Otherwise, we're gonna but, go. We're gonna go off into science. Yeah, but it's <laughs> well, no going to. Well, going to your weighing, it's the interpretation of it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah. so now we're now we're coming to back, and I think we could segue now back to Genesis, uh, Galatians three. Yep. And I was pro- I probably took us down a rabbit hole opening the door, but you you were commenting about people making a response to this, and I just thought. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it, I think we so, needed to say ahead. it. Here go we ahead. go. Um, if I was to sum up what we just discussed, this reality that, you know, why we started our podcast series uh, when it comes to man and woman, woman, manhood and womanhood on on hermeneutics or how you interpret your Bible, because now we have a real hermeneutical issue here. Uh, mm-hmm. The number Good. one Good. reason why people misinterpret the Bible is not because it isn't just like clear, like most of the Bible is actually very clear and easy to understand. It's that we bring in pre-understandings, presuppositions, biases that we take from the world and we and we bring it into the text and it's called eisegesis. We read into the text something we want to be there rather than reading out of the text what's actually there. Exegesis versus eisegesis. So the misinterpretation of Galatians 3.28 by a more egalitarian or feminist theologian is what we would call eisegesis. They're reading into the text something that's actually not there. They're pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Kind of, that's my analogy I've been using. Um, So let's get to it. Galatians, a little bit of context. You got the city of Galatia, you got this church there. There was a lot of Jewish converts. Um, So ethnic Jews or Jews who practiced the religion of Judaism, they were converted to Christianity. Um, And then you have this group within the the church there called the Judaizers who were starting to drift back into a Jewish way of, of... of life, they're they're drifting back into the Jew, Jewish religious practice, um, and trying to mesh it with Christianity, and basically saying, "Hey, yeah, we we do believe in this Christian stuff, and that you gotta you know believe in Christ, but you also need to do the Jewish stuff. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to follow the Mosaic law. You you this is also true, you know, and and you go, 
hold, hold, hold up. Wait a minute now. And Paul writes this letter. And I'm just going to read a little bit from chapter one just to kind of set the stage a little bit. He goes in verse six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Those are those Judaizers in the church. Uh, but even if we are an, but even if we, you know, the apostles or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul's saying, "Hey, if I come back to you, and I preach, even me, Paul, an apostle, come back to you and preach a different gospel than what I originally brought to you, let me be accursed." Or even an angel, he's saying, "As we have said before, so now I say again." He doubles down. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The biggest, it's a double anathema. It's a double, he's doubling down. This is his, he's like, this is it. This is as big a deal as it gets. I am laying down the law right here. Uh, <laughs> um, you, there's no different gospel. And if you start to mesh uh, Judaism and the practices of Judaism with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you got an, you got a, an issue on your hands. Not just a minor doctrinal issue. You got the issue, which is you're le- you're going to lead people astray. You're preaching a different gospel now. Um, big deal stuff. So that's the that's the whole context of Galatians. Now, now Paul goes into this amazing, amazing defense of the true gospel. This that we're this reality that we're saved by faith in Christ alone, not by works. Like, and he fleshes this out beautifully. I think of uh, Galatians two. Uh, verse, um, you know, starting verse 15, we ourselves are Jews but by birth and not Gentile sinners. But you know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, I mean, it's this beautiful thing. You're not justified by works. You're justified by faith in Christ. And then, you know, we get through uh, chapter 3. And now we finally come, you know, I'm jumping ahead, jumping ahead, jumping ahead. Verse 23, chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in context. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our you're guardian. In verse, you're in verse 323, right? Yep, 323. 323. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come and we are no longer under a guardian... So, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here's our verse, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, I mean, really it's actually pretty clear. There's this reality that, okay, contextually you have this, you have Judaism, you have ethnic Judaism. God's people were the Jews, eth- ethnic Jews. He made his well, covenant with... And, and Sam, I'm, I'm sorry, let me just, when you talk about the Jews, verse 29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, yeah. heirs according to promise. So yeah. you're all descendants. That's all I want to make Right, this. right. Because that's going to feed into this. It's right. like you're all descendants, every one of you. If right. you're in Christ, you're a descendant. Right. Run. So here's here's okay. what... Paul is trying to flesh out here. Before you had the new covenant, before you had the gospel and Christ died on the cross, 
and the and the 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 you know the the veil was of the temple was torn into basically saying hey all can come now to 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 Christ there's no separation anymore um and again I'm I'm paraphrasing a lot because this whole reality of of the Jewish religion is is very complex and we don't have time to flesh it out now but hopefully you have a little bit of an understanding that Again, God made his, his covenant with his old covenant, you know, with Abraham. He made promises with Abraham. He made promises to David, uh, these Jews. Uh, but they're all pointing to, to this ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Uh, before Christ came, salvation was, was, was for the Jews, really. And all these Gentiles, all these other nations were, were separated from God. And they weren't given the promises of God. But then Christ came, and now Gentiles can be saved. Why? Because salvation has always been by faith. It hasn't been by keeping the law. It hasn't been by the Mosaic law. What does Paul say? He says the Mosaic law, it was, it was a guardian. It was this, uh, it was like this, the slave in a sense who, who was kind of in this protected the child for a while before they were fully mature. And once they were fully, fully mature and became this full grown man, uh, now they can inherit uh, the father's um, um, estate, really, uh, and and become this fully formed, fully mature adult who now can make decisions for them own, for their for themselves. So that's kind of the picture he's giving here contextually, starting in verse twenty three. So the law was this guardian for a time, but now what has always was supposed to lead to this maturation now is mature, which is this Christ has came, he's paid for the sins of of the world on the cross. Uh, he's provided the way of salvation for all who would believe in him, Gentiles and Jews alike, whether it's a slave or a free person, whether it's a man or a woman, whether it's a Jew or a Greek, it doesn't matter. All can be saved by faith in Christ. There is no distinction. So it's no longer, uh, salvation is no longer just a Jewish thing. It's for all people. And that's an incredible reality. It's for, it's for anybody who would believe in Christ by faith. So, that's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. It's this great reality that we're all united in Christ. We're all given the Spirit of God, and we're all one in Christ. It's not talking about roles. This has nothing to do with with roles of a man or a woman in the church, or in the family, or in society. It has nothing to do with that at all. This has to do with salvation. Both men and women can be saved. If you want to talk about it in, in, the, in the realm of male and female, both male and female can be saved. <laughs> if that's what you want to get from it, as it pertains to male and female, that's what you get from it. Mm-hmm. They're both one in Christ. has nothing to do with roles. Just as both Jesus and God the Father and, 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 and God the Spirit are all God, they have different roles. Just because they have different roles doesn't mean they're not equal. Yeah. So just well, because... And- in verse 28, sticking to it, neither slave nor free man. It's like, yeah. no, There's this is about membership in this body. This is about this unity that you're all in yep. if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ and, and, and you have the Holy Spirit, who is what the work Christ came to baptize you in the Spirit and give you the Spirit. Um, to be a Christian means you have, you've been sealed with the Spirit. Um, you're in. Yeah. You're, 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 this is about membership. It's, it's nothing about leadership. No. 
and, and, and in, even in 20, you'd say, okay, leaders are not more important than members. You could say it that way. Preachers are not more important than the person who serves. I, nope. I brought that up earlier. It's like, no, no, no. The point of this is that we're all descendants of Abraham if you're in Christ. Yeah. Jew, Gentile. Right. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter your IQ. Doesn't matter if you're male. Doesn't matter if you're female. Doesn't matter if you're slave. You're free. So, you know, so using this verse to make this case about roles for a man and woman or, or roles in church, I just don't even know how you would do that. I, I don't know either. I mean, I know they do, but I, it's kind of odd to me. Like, yeah, no, it's not even differentiating here. It's not telling about the role of elders versus members, all these different things. There's no. lots of those no. order submission kinds of things that we get to in the next podcast when we talk about Ephesians 5. You know, I mean, right. even there, right? You know, children, parents, it's like, no, anybody who's in Christ is in Christ. You're a descendant. Done. Membership. All equal. Boom. Yep. Boom. That's what this is talking about. Right. And I think that's why, and obviously that's why you started in this whole, the whole context of Galatians is that was the conflict being right. dealt with there. Right. That there's this higher spirituality. Yeah. Or the Jews are somehow different. It's like, no, 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 no. You're all the same. Right. Here it is. Right. That's what, that's what the gospel is all about. We're all yep. the same. Yep. And now you might ask the question, well, why do people misuse this text? Um, well, because you, you could say they have an agenda. They've 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 grown up in this yeah. society, this egalitarian society, let's say, and and they've been taught whether it's in they've been taught by by their public school, whether they've been taught it by their parents or their friends or their, you know, in the public university, you know, wherever it doesn't matter where, but they've been taught this reality that a difference in role uh, automatically means uh, an inferiority and a superiority. So they've been taught that hey. Yeah, if a man is the head of the house and is, has the authority of a house, that means the woman is inferior. So they, they, they've been taught that idea. So then they're trying to f go to the scriptures and find anywhere they can to, sh to, sh to, to say, well, that's not the case, you know. And, and that men and women have to be uh, absolutely equal in every regard then and role so that we can't – so that you don't fall into this inferiority, superiority idea. Um but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, hey, you can be equal, and the only way that the Bible says equality is that you have equality, you know, as equal in worth, value, dignity, honor, um, equal to the access to the blessings of God and eternal life and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Um, but that equality does not mean that there's not distinction in role. So hopefully that made sense. I kind of, I think that was a little confusing. I said that a little oddly but hopefully that makes sense that that the world doesn't think that can be the case they don't think that you can have both they don't think that you can have equality and differences in role they don't think that that's why this whole social justice thing right now is all about socioeconomic equity it really is it comes down to power influence and money that if we're, if we're truly to be an equal people, then all people have to have the same amount of things, have to have the same amount of power, have the same amount of influence, have the same amount of money, have the same amount of access to resources, have the same amount of everything. And you go, that's not biblical equality. The Bible doesn't say that at all. Not even close. Not even close. It actually, it actually affirms the opposite. It actually affirms this reality that God creates people differently 
with different capacities, with different levels of intellect, with with different born into different societies and different places. And and the Bible actually says that the man who loves money, you know, he's going to it's like it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle for them for that man to go to heaven. So this whole fascination with with money and and having things is like that's actually fundamentally just not good. That's sinful. <laughs> and but that's that's the world we live in. So it would make sense that there would be this 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 horrible uh, dislike for the Christian teaching that men and women are equal but different in role. And so what's beautiful and good is is hated by the world. And if somebody is influenced by the world in such a way that they believe that, that men and women can't be equal if they're different in role, well, then they'll, they'll try to find a Bible verse that might try to prove their point. And apparently this is that verse, but as we sh- you know, we're able to show, you got to do something gnarly. <laughs> uh, you got to go out of reality to, to do that. You got to pull a rabbit out of a hat. So... Yeah, well, and you know, text, uh, exegetically, Sam, um, in you know, a textual way, even the Greek lends itself to what you're saying. I mean, we didn't say that, but like, right. the, the the word used here, um, uh, hen, or it looks like n, but hen, the Greek word it means one. The emphasis is on unity, and it's yeah. not. The emphasis isn't on equal, and Paul could have used a different word that meant equal. Yeah. And he didn't. Right. Um, and so it's just, it's just again, from the logic, which is where you've spent all your time on this verse, yeah. you know, the context, the lo- again, hermeneutical principles, you're right. using context, you're using the logic. It talks about these pairings of slaves and owners and Jews and Gentiles, male yep. and female. Well, it, it doesn't mean equal. You would never think, you would never think like, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it means unity. It means they're one. They're, they're all at the same place. In Christ. Yep. And so, um, yeah. Yep. I mean, and it fits with 1 Corinthians 12 that we just talked about too, this reality that, hey, we're all one. We have one spirit, but we're and we're all part of this one body, but we have different parts. We're different parts of this one body. Some are hands, mm-hmm. some are feet, some are eyes, some are ears, but yeah. we're one body. And the same here. Hey, you're one in Christ, but some of you are slaves, some of you are free people, some of you are men, some of you are women, some of you are Greeks, some of you are Jews, some of you are barbarians, some of you are Scythians, some of you are, you know, all these different ethnic groups, some of you are rich, some of you are poor, you know, but you're all, if you are if you came to Christ by faith in Christ alone and were baptized into this body and regenerated by the Spirit and you have the Spirit, you're all one in Christ. So that's that's what it's saying. It's a beautiful thing, actually. Um, so that's it. I mean, we've gone about an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, we're going to wrap this, this episode up where we're going in the future. The next episode, we're, we're going to get into Ephesians now, you know, again, like kind of like, uh, walking in order here. We went to Corinthians and now we went to Galatians quick and now we're in Ephesians. So if you just keep flipping your Bible in order, now we'll be in Ephesians. Um, and then after Ephesians, we'll go to Colossians briefly. It's a kind of a mirror passage to the Ephesians 5 passage in Colossians 3 and then we'll we'll look at first Peter 3 and then we'll look hey, at Hey you know I wonder Sam if we should uh, from there go to just stick with Paul and, and go, just go to, to the his, pastoral epistles 
Yeah, then come back and say Peter affirms the same picture. Yeah. Yep, I think that's good. Yep. That, that yep. might be so easier to do. Yep. Stick with Paul. Paul's teaching because when he teaches Titus and Timothy, it's pastors to these churches. To these, these churches. Yeah. You know. Timothy was especially pastoral or had a pastoral presence in Ephesus. So. Yeah, that's what I mean. So just stick yep. with that and just say, okay, he's addressing some more there. I think yep. that would be helpful. And I then think we'll it would come do. back and. Is that that's okay? I, that's I fine with me. That, yep, yeah. that's where we're yep. going. So hopefully you yeah. uh, continue to follow along with these the, the remainder of these episodes, and then once we're done with looking at these passages and the epistles, then we're gonna spend some time talking about application. And it's it's this reality of like you can almost imagine like okay here Paul has this issue in in Corinth with head coverings. So there's a cultural issue, and now he's gonna use the biblical theology of man and woman to address this issue. So what we're going to try to do the best we can and 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 we're going to try to be as pastoral as possible um, i can i can make some pretty black and white statements i'm sure you guys have pretty already uh come to that conclusion listening to if you've listened to a lot of my episodes already in our episodes but we're going to try to be as pastoral as possible we're going to say okay here are the issues of our day maybe give some scenarios maybe give some examples of we that we know of without using any names of people in our lives or things we've seen or issues that might arise in our culture today and we'll go okay if we apply our biblical theology to this issue and ask some questions mm-hmm. um, some important questions where would the, where would the application be steering towards you could say mm-hmm. um, some applications yep. are going to be more obvious than others some are going to be very complex some are going to say, yeah, I, I can't tell you exactly what you got to do in this situation. Here are the principles, though. Now ask all these questions of yourself because only you know your heart in this decision that you're going to make. Um, in living out a biblical masculinity or a biblical femininity. Yeah. And hopefully the application for you listening will become clear. Uh, but we don't know your specific situation. But again, we can ask all these theological questions. Okay, what about this? Are you That's prioritizing yep. money over the glory of God? Are you prioritizing a career over over uh, displaying a true femininity or a masculinity? All this stuff that we can ask, these clarifying questions. But that's where we're going, and I'm yeah, excited about it. And hopefully yeah, once this is all really done good. and wrapped up and we put a bow on it, yeah. uh, hopefully the whole series as a whole, whether I don't know how many episodes we'll end up having, I don't know, probably over 10, <laughs> which means we'll probably have like like – 20 hours of content on this alone which is kind of crazy um, that it will help people and you could use it as a resource in the future you know you have a friend or or a spouse or or somebody or a, a sibling that is struggling with manhood or womanhood and, and you go hey <laughs> listen to 20 hours of podcast and you'll figure it out <laughs> but I don't know hopefully it will be usable um, and uh, hopefully it helps you so Thanks for listening to this episode. Tune into the remainder. And again, if you uh, if you have enjoyed it, I encourage you to share these episodes uh, and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, whatever you listen to. Leave a, a rating. The rating helps with discoverability. So obviously we do this to be discovered and to be listened to. Um, so please, if you enjoy it, leave a rating. Again, thanks for listening. Bye.